Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Uh, I'm Zach Farmer. A lot of things, a lot of exciting things to go over. The Maui Invitational happened last week. We had St. Mary's bouncing back. Santa Clara with a big win and then a big loss over the weekend. We'll get into a lot of these things. Uh, Frankie Ferrari returning to the Hilltop as well. Uh, but first, uh, just a quick uh, plug for all the subscriptions you can have uh, hit the subscribe button here on YouTube, favorite the podcast on your favorite streaming service. Uh, follow me on social media at post by Zach and then the podcast Twitter account at unoff WCC pod. All right. So we'll get into a lot of what's what happened last week. We'll review, start to also look forward to some big games that are happening uh, this week as well, but we're going to start with Santa Clara. And they split at the Emerald Coast Classic over the weekend and got a big win against Oregon. Yes, a shorthanded Oregon team who were down a couple of their uh, top performers, but they still got an 88-82 win uh, against the Ducks in Florida. They got 25 from Adama Alpha Ball. You got 18.7 rebounds. Christoph Tilly matched Oregon punch for punch uh, all the way through this game. Uh, Tyree Bryan was one of the guys like I really liked in this game, 30 minutes off the bench, 12 points, five rebounds. Uh, the Broncos dominated the paint 42 to 28. Everything seemed to really go Santa Clara's way. Oregon did every, it seemed like no one was really able to get any level of separation. Every time Santa Clara went on a run, Oregon would come back. Every time Oregon went on a run, Santa Clara would come back. Uh, so it was really impressive to just see how the resilience of this Santa Clara team, how much they were able to push back, fight back. We saw similar things uh, in the Stanford matchup just a couple of weeks ago. Second win against a Pac-12 opponent. This one, as of right now, should count as a Q1. So another feather in the cap of this uh, Santa Clara team. And they looked impressive. They they caught the eyes of a lot of people around um, around the sport, around college basketball, by getting this win, uh, and then set themselves up for a great opportunity to win the Emerald Coast Classic on Saturday against Ohio State. Ohio State, who had beaten Alabama the night before, and in the first half. Santa Clara didn't play well. I The offense was stagnant. There wasn't a whole lot of movement, too much one-on-one -on -one play. Uh, they didn't defend the three all too well. But despite all of that, they only ended up trailing by eight, which I was going into that half thinking, and probably everyone in that locker room was thinking, all right, we've, we played about as poorly as we've played all year, and we're still in this. We can fight this back. We can crawl back into this one. And that was not the case against Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes ended up shooting 63% in the second half uh, and ended up pulling away. They won 80, uh, Ohio State won 86-56. So Santa Clara coming off a big close win just completely fell off in that second game, uh, dropping, dropping it by 30. Ohio State led in second chance points 14-2. to they led in points in the paint, 36 to 26. So the advantage that Santa Clara had in that opener just completely got flipped on them in that second game. Adamo Ball with 13. Carlos Marshall Jr. couldn't really get going. Uh, Christoph Tilly had foul trouble early, and that really hurt him trying to get into a rhythm. But then also he had a, he had some trouble with uh, the Ohio State bigs. There there was a lot of uh, a lot of challenges that he faced, and. That was, it was bad. It's like it, they pulled away late. They pulled away from in that game. And the one thing that at least Santa Clara can come out of this weekend is still say, bottom line, they picked up a Q1 win and they now have a Q1 and a Q2 victory away, both away from home. And this is, this is a good, Overall, a good thing for Santa Clara. Obviously, Saturday was an awful thing. It would have been much better had they been able to stick close to Ohio State, especially in that second half, uh, to make the, to make their resume look at least a little bit better. Because as we've seen even recently with say Santa St. Mary's, uh, I mean those big those those devastating losses can 
come back to bite you. But at the very least, this happened against a good team. This is not happening against a bad team. And Ohio State looked really, really good um, over the weekend. Um, I'd expect them to be in a lot of people's top 25s come Monday. And this is where we kind of have to start to think, what is the San Clara team going to be? This this is starting to look like a team who, as we have talked about in the preseason, as they started 6-0, and or as they started 5-0 and going into the Ohio's into the Oregon game. This is a team that is set up to be to they're in position to be in position to get an NCAA tournament berth. They have the remaining schedule that I think sets them up well. They've already done the things that they should have done to this point. And it's these pieces are starting to come together and I think there was some benefit to play maybe a bit of a softer schedule early as you had a lot of new pieces on this team before you saw some of these better teams. So before we go any further, I'm going to bring in uh, Santa Clara play-by-play man, Anthony Passarelli, and he and I will talk a little bit more about what he has seen from the Broncos to this point. All right, we're going to continue talking about some Santa Clara basketball with the voice of the Broncos, Anthony Passarelli. He was down in Florida for the tournament. How was your Thanksgiving? How was the weekend? And uh, yeah, just we'll just start there. Like, what's how was Thanksgiving for you? Yeah, Thanksgiving was great. I mean, it's uh, you know we love uh, you've talked to the other broadcasters. We love what we do. Uh, sometimes that involves travel on the holidays. So Thanksgiving was great. I met up with the team in Florida from my family vacation um, with my wife and kids and mother and father and. Uh, Got to Niceville, Florida, which is on the Panhandle, kind of in between Mobile and uh, and kind of Orlando, I guess. Generally, I'm, I'm probably going to be in trouble for that, but uh, it was great. Thanksgiving was great. Met with the, met up with the team uh, in time to uh, get ready for the game. Beautiful weather, uh, so yeah, Thanksgiving was great. I hope you had a good one too. Yeah, a little bit of traveling here in the Bay Area, but overall, <laughs> it worked. Like everything good. worked out, um, and. Over, I mean, during this weekend, I was I was watching both of these games for Santa Clara, watching that game against Oregon on Friday, watching the game against or- Ohio State on on Saturday, and we'll start with Friday because this was one of the better wins we've seen Santa Clara, a non conference win Santa Clara has had in a long time, yep. and this and this we got to see a lot of different things out of this team. Adama Adama Alpha Ball really stepped up. We had a great game from Christoph Tilly. I was really impressed with Tyree Bryan in that one. What were so just kind of take me through your impressions of what what we saw against Oregon? Well, I mean, you hit on the kind of the highlights there. So as this non-conference schedule has has gone on, I'm getting a chance to see more of this team. I um, you know, I'm not with the team in the summer during the workouts. I maybe pop in for a couple here or there. Um, and then I'm getting kind of to familiarize myself with these guys. So many new faces, five new starters, essentially, from last year's team. Um, and you're right. Uh, Adama Alpha Ball, a couple years at Arizona, but I don't think he played 60 games in two years, maybe 50 games in two years. Um, and just seeing him grow in non-conference and uh, get confidence, something Herb Sendik and I talked about after the Oregon game, Um that and it being a team effort. So you mentioned Christoph Tilly having a good game as well. Um, he's uh, getting comfortable. He wasn't really a starter. Christoph wasn't until the end of last year, his true freshman year. So um, he's growing and playing well. Uh, you mentioned Tyree Bryan. There's a player um, that came in through the transfer portal, and he has looked fantastic. I mean, a really strong defender, a good outside shooter, and I don't know if you saw the inbound lob from Jalen Benjamin um, on social media, but that was uh, getting some raised eyebrows and he just gets up so high. If you haven't seen it, go look for it. Um, I have seen it. I saw that one. I I think I saw it live. Then I also was retweeting the the highlight to that. So, I mean, I'm just naming a few players, but guys like Jake Ensminger, who's a redshirt freshman, uh, also from Germany, like Christoph Tilly, got in. I think he had his career best in points and rebounds. Um, and so, I mean, I don't want to do it here, but I mean, you could go through almost the entire roster and talk about players contributing. And that's, I think, what's so special about this team early in the season is Herb Senek's got one of the deeper teams I've seen him have, and it's one of the deeper teams I've seen at Santa Clara in the time I've been there. 
uh, here. So um, it's just real exciting right now. And sure, things didn't work out the way we wanted to at Ohio State or the way that the team wanted to against Ohio State. We can talk about that a little bit. But um, yeah, that win against Oregon was was pretty special. And, you know, anytime you beat a Pac, uh, Pac-12 school for however long they're a Pac-12 school now with the clock ticking, um, it's pretty special as well, because um, obviously they're, they're West Coast conferences. Right. And and one of the things that I think is what I saw in that game and then also what we saw against Stanford was just there's a level of toughness and grittiness to this team that that because it seemed like every time Oregon went on a run, they responded every time that Stanford went on a run. They responded that the, this team knows how to bounce back. This team knows how to fight through some of the adversity they might see in game. What's been kind of your read on that? Because that's one aspect that feels like that this team has it's almost kind of turning into a little bit of like a little bit of their identity at this stage. Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, uh, player experience. So when you go through the portal, you're able to bring in some graduates. Uh, Jalen Benjamin is one of them. Francisco Caffaro, who came from Virginia, was a member of the national championship team a handful of years ago. Um, he's a graduate in there and at, you know, seven feet, uh, 240, 245. Um, being around these guys more on these road trips, get a chance to see Tyree Bryan has experience in another conference, like we talked about. Um, they're confident in their ability um, and don't panic. And I'm not saying other players on the team are panicking at all but they feed off of the confidence of these veterans knowing that everything's going to be okay. So like you mentioned against Oregon and Stanford, when those two teams, which are very good teams, athletic teams and, um, you know, top quality players, um, when they punch um, this group of Santa Clara players, uh, and I you see it a lot under Herb Sendick, um, they're, they're not thinking, oh, this is the end of us tonight. And so I think that's what you saw in both of those games and, and what you've seen in a lot of games this year. And, and we've already talked a little bit about just like we've had a lot of new faces and there's still like you have a lot of confidence because you have experience coming in from these transfers, but they're still trying to figure out how to play with each other to an extent. And was it do you think it was actually helpful before going into this weekend that they had games like Utah Tech, the Missouri, the, the Mississippi Valley States, like where it's those are lesser opponents, but it allowed you time to actually kind of gel a little bit more before you saw maybe some of these bigger opponents? I think that's probably by design, right? So um, you have so many new faces, and I think most teams do that. Um, um, get a chance to get comfortable with players and um, get comfortable with each other. Sure, they've been practicing for a while. Sure, they've had a couple of exhibition games, closed door. But uh, to get, a, get into games where you're, you're in live game action against a, a real opponent, um, the Utah Techs and St. Francis and and that type of thing. So, yeah, I, th I think that's going to help any school to do that. And so Santa Clara probably benefited a little bit from that, getting a chance to acclimate. But um, by the way, this is a school that's ready to play whomever is on the schedule and they're scheduling to try and get into the NCAA tournament. And it's not, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, look at the schedule. The, the non-conference mm -hmm. schedule is as tough as I've seen it in years. And mm -hmm. that's the goal. So, yeah, uh, maybe one or two games but then it's okay let's bring on oregon stanford ohio state new mexico uh, yeah. yale duquesne all of them and that's a very tough non-conference schedule right and that's been one of I mean, many people and myself included we a lot of us pointed out just how tough the same santa clara schedule is in the non-conference because there's it's especially once you got past those first couple of weeks it was just kind of almost one right after the other of really tough quality opponents that you'd be hitting the road playing them at home and so you get them in a variety of venues as well. And and every so because I feel like the, the Santa Clara teams of the last few years, it's not that this one is necessarily I'm still trying to figure out because it's I don't think they're necessarily better than what we've seen in the last few years, but this team has a greater opportunity because of the schedule put together to get some of those key wins that maybe kept them out of the tournaments last year or maybe two years ago with Jalen Williams or Pajemski. But now you have the schedule matches what the team is and kind of like what's your is that kind of like the way you're looking at it? Because obviously we don't know what the team's going to be yet, but right. What's kind of the early read? Yeah, it's early. Right. So I uh, Jason Ludwig is in, it, it has a lot to do and I dare say is in charge of the scheduling. 
So I talked to him about being in the multi-team event in Florida and looking at, uh, you know, scheduled games. And he basically said, we look at what it takes to get into the tournament um, at an at-large level, because obviously the goal is to win conference. The goal is to win the conference tournament and get that automatic bid. Um, but you have to schedule as if it's, um, you know, you're looking at a, to get in a, at an at-large. Um, and so that w- that's what he's been doing. Um, and that's what they have um, been trying to do for the last several years under Herb Sending. So I, I think unless I'm, you know, if I'm not answering your question, just say, no, wait, Anthony, this is what I meant. But um, yeah, that's the goal. This is as deep a team as I've seen at Santa Clara uh, under Coach Sendik. And um, he's, uh, he, I dare say he's got his hands full with trying to get all the talent uh, on the floor and manage minutes and, and get the right combinations. And I think that's a lot of what the non-conference has been so far. Um, Adama Alpha Ball has been getting better um, every game. And you saw it against Stanford and you saw it against Oregon and Christoph Tilly and uh, Johnny O'Neill from American yep. University who's come over and um, he's he, he's getting better every game. So um, there's a lot of players uh, all the way down to the freshmen who've come in. And um, I, I think this is going to be a pretty special team. It is. It is a very yeah. special team. One of the returners we haven't actually talked about, we've mentioned a lot of names. We have not talked about Carlos Marshall Jr. yet. And I feel like you can't not talk about what this team has done to this point without mentioning his impact and what he's been able to bring. As one of the few returners, even though he obviously missed most of last year with an injury, just kind of talk to like his leadership and what he has meant as kind of being almost one of the, the the, the program bears because he is one of the, the guys who has been here for at least for a couple of years. Right. He was around the team all of last year. He, he got in three games and then uh, suffered a shoulder injury, which required surgery in January. So even though he had the surgery, he was around the team. Um, and I didn't get a chance to see him play that much when uh, before he came to Santa Clara. So when he got out there the first couple of games this year, and we interviewed him for a halftime segment on one of our uh, broadcasts on ESPN Plus. Um, just so calm. Uh, he's from uh, Memphis and just real relaxed and, you know, likes to laugh and is one of those guys that's just confident. And his, he said uh, over the weekend, he said, this is the healthiest I've been in years and I feel great. And the other guys feed off of that. I mean, just very calm, very, it's going to get done. And the combination of these players like Chef, um, and uh, we talked about the others that are come in with all the experience, they feed off each other. Everything's going to be fine. We've got a fantastic uh, coach and staff. We've got each other that we can rely on. We have experience mixed in with youth. And um, uh, he's been fantastic. And uh, I think people maybe were surprised at his start because they didn't get a chance to see him play much last year. but. I'm here to tell you, don't be surprised at what you see from him. He's fantastic. Yeah, I think one of the, I was maybe not completely surprised, but it was just how quickly he was able to get off to some starts in those games. I think there were a couple of games as I was about ready to flip him on. It's like I looked up and he already had 10 points after like the first few minutes of the game. And, and I think that happened for a couple of straight games where I'm like, oh, he's already in double digits. <laughs> so yeah, he got off really good starts, 20 plus in his first couple of games, um, and then maybe 14 points and 10 rebounds. And everybody's getting involved. Everybody's getting comfortable with how each other plays and the combinations that they're in throughout the game. You know, the starting five um, probably won't be on the, the whole, the floor a ton of time because you've got Tyree coming off the bench, Tyree Bryan coming off the bench and you've got Caffaro coming off the bench. And then there's the wild cards of, is somebody in foul trouble or, you know, is the defense giving, uh, showing something that maybe dictates a different lineup. So, um, there's a lot of interchangeable, interchangeable parts and a lot of options for Herb and his staff, um, which kind of makes it exciting for me anyway to call. <laughs> right. Because it does seem like, and Herb and I talked about this in an interview before the season, because he also agreed to like, this is like his deepest team that he's had since being at Santa Clara. And I mean, it does seem like that there's just 10 deep on this team that can really like contribute in a real way. Um, and just some of the guys that been looking at we mentioned Kafaro, we've mentioned Tilly, we've mentioned a lot of these guys. Uh we mentioned them briefly, and I do want to kind of go back to Johnny O'Neill because it feels like to me it's like when he is on, like 
they give he gives them some a wrinkle that they haven't had in a while because he's that stretch four that if he starts knocking it down that like it really makes this team seem a lot different yeah he's had glimpses of what he can do um i don't think he's fully hit his stride at santa clara mm -hmm. but i expect it to be soon now that's just on the offensive side of things right yeah so he's still rebounding he's still blocking shots which is what he did very well at American University. I think I haven't looked at the numbers yet, but I'm pretty sure he leads Santa Clara in block shots right now. Um, so it's just a matter of time before he is the Johnny O'Neill that was at American University doing such great things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked much about him, but I mean, you could in the postgame interviews after the victories uh, this year, Herb and I have talked about a team effort every time. And it's not just Adama Alpha Ball. It's not just Christoph Tilly. It's the Ensmingers, the Johnny O'Neills, the Chefs, uh, Jalen Benjamins, the Christian Hammonds, who's a freshman, um, everybody. And I'm missing some names there, but I think you get my point yeah. is it's a team effort. And so um, they're all helping each other. And uh, it's been working pretty well so far. So what, what has been as as this team has gotten better as this team has three straight two straight 21 seasons they've been the three seed in the in the wcc tournament each of the last two years what's been kind of like the um the energy level or the vibe on campus with some of the other people you're talking to or get a chance to speak with about the excitement that this team is starting to bring to santa clara tons of excitement um from boosters i've talked to uh, Renee Baumgartner, the athletic director, has done a fantastic job. There are new buildings on campus. It's not just around the basketball program that's built mm -hmm. the excitement. Um, Santa Clara baseball, Santa Clara soccer, men's and women's, um, golf, uh, you name it. I mean, it's it's there's a there's a buzz about the uh, the athletics at Santa Clara right now, and basketball is is at the forefront of that. Um, it's exciting. Uh, I think this is my 17th year. It's exciting to be able to say, oh, look, Jalen Williams was here two years ago, and now he's runner-up rookie of the year, and now he's a starting lineup for the Thunder. And, oh, Brandon Pajemski comes back and works out before the Warriors season started, and you run into him at a soccer game. And um, it's just – it is kind of cool to see these guys who haven't changed, um, and they're still very proud of Santa Clara – and they're around talking to their former classmates. Um, yeah, the vibe is is really good. And I think I asked a really dumb question, which if you've listened to any of my interviews, you know, is not uncommon uh, to Herb. I, I said, so this program's on a different level, isn't it? And he looked at me um, because, of course, it is. The, of course, the mm -hmm. program's on a different level over the last handful of years. Yeah. Um, and his staff and 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 he and. Renee in the athletic department and everyone associated with athletics at Santa Clara has had a hand in this buzz. So it is very exciting. Yeah, it's I'm I'm excited to see where this team can go. I've long said that Santa Clara is probably like the sleeping giant of the WCC because of the resources and what Santa Clara has the potential to do. Uh, we know in decades past that has been the case, and now it looks like Santa Clara is starting to kind of bring some of that back and uh, be be in the mix because of this. They've set themselves up to be in the mix to be to pick up a few more wins, be in that conversation for an at large uh, once we roll roll around to selection Sunday. So I'm um, just going to wrap this up real quick. So uh, Anthony, um, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for chatting about Santa Clara basketball. I mean, weekend, even if it ended on a sour note was got a good win against Oregon. This team is looking good. Um, and there's plenty of opportunities left on the schedule before we get to conference in only a little more than a month. It's kind of scary yeah. to think they're only a month away from conference play. Well, if I know you're following the team closely, if uh, if you any of your viewers are kind of on the fence about, you know, should I check out Santa Clara? Should I go see them play? Uh, get off the fence. You should. And uh, get off the some, fence. something special is happening. Yeah. All right. Th thanks for hopping on. And uh, we'll cat I'll catch you down the road. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. So I want to thank Anthony uh, Passarelli for hopping on one more time. Uh, great to talk Santa Clara hoops with him. So the Santa Clara team started the season, Ken Palm 150. Last week, they they were at 115. After the Oregon win, they jumped up to 95. 
And then after the Ohio State clobbering, they dropped back to 125. So there's still a lot of like variables happening here. It seems ridiculous that they dropped that much after a loss to Ohio State to a team they were supposed to lose to. Yes, it was by 30, and they went down by 30, but that still seems like a bit of an overcorrection in the numbers, but those are the numbers. But there's a lot of tests left for Santa Clara, a lot of time for them to build the resume, to continue to build the resume as we get deeper and deeper into the season. December is going to provide plenty of tests Two Pac-12 schools in Cal and Washington State. They get New Mexico, they get Utah State, and they play Yale. A lot of top 100 teams in here. Cal, obviously not one of those top 100 teams, but two more Pac-12 schools. You have a couple of teams in the Mountain West who are going to play a factor. You have Yale, who's the, the favorite to pick the Ivy, has already seen a couple WCC teams already. The Santa Clara team is set up to be in the hunt. They are set up to, if they handle their business and get a few more of these potential Q1, Q2 wins before conference play, much like USF a couple of years ago, you may not have to beat Gonzaga. You may not have to beat St. Mary's to make this happen and get an at-large bid come March. And speaking of the tough part of the schedule... Gonzaga just wrapped up the Maui Invitational in Oahu. They went 2-1 and one with wins over UCLA and Syracuse, the one loss coming against Purdue. And that was the game that everyone expected them to lose. That was not totally surprising. But they played well against Purdue, and they they got into a lot of foul trouble early on with Zach Eady trying, trying to wrangle uh, the 7-4 center. But they had a five-point lead at the half despite all of that. But in the second half, Purdue really upped their intensity, really upped their pace of play, and really dominated that second half. Gonzaga went over 13 from three. I thought they they I know that going into the paint against Purdue is difficult because of Edie, but there was almost an over-reliance, an, an unusual amount of over-reliance from a Gonzaga team on the three. They took 32 three-pointers in that game, only made six of them, which also is an an unusual number for them as well. But but that game, so it didn't go, obviously, according to plan for the Zags, but largely according to plan, I think, from what everyone thought might happen. But then games against Syracuse and UCLA, I think, went kind of according to plan. So this tournament kind of went according to plan, I think, for a lot of people. Syracuse, Gonzaga looked like, against Syracuse, Gonzaga looked like itself again. They dominated the inside against a smaller and more inexperienced uh, Orange team. They led 25 to 8 in second chance points. Graham E.K., Anton Watson, both with double-doubles. They looked like themselves. They looked like the team that should should still be in the mix with as far as a team that could have a deep run into the tournament. UCLA, uh, this is the Anton Watson game. Uh, for those who saw on Wednesday night, uh, Anton Watson just went ballistic. Uh, 32 points, a career high, 14-15 from the field, seven rebounds. Uh, Grammy K was was in foul trouble most of that game. And so Grammy K was largely kind of not a, not a huge factor over the course of the Maui because of foul trouble. Um, and Anton Watson really saved them in this game because the rest of the team went nine for 38 from the field, 23%. Uh, so, and this was not a, not a, this was not a game that was refed very well. This was not, there were a lot of foul calls all over this weekend. Uh, the refs were a little bit too much the star of the show all weekend at the Maui. So all that said, they got a win against UCLA. They get a win against Syracuse. They dropped a close one, close-ish one to Purdue and they're sitting here at four and one. They're, they we know that Gonzaga's schedule still has a lot, a lot left on it. Uh, but this week, uh, my player of the week, Anton Watson, seventeen point seven rebounds. He shot sixty six percent from the field. Uh, he did about everything you would hope for, um, especially in that game against a UCLA team that they are very familiar with. Uh, and there were a few things that stood out to me about Gonzaga over the weekend, and nothing of this has to do with Anton Watson. Number one was the confidence of Nolan Hickman. Nolan Hickman looks so much more sure of himself now. 
He looks so much more decisive. Even if he didn't shoot terribly well over the weekend, he went five for 14 against Purdue, but he looked so much more confident in the decisions he was making. He looked like he knew he was sure of himself that he was going to take these shots, the passes that he was going to make. Where a year ago, it didn't look like that. There was still some second, it looked like there was some second guessing, some hesitation in the, in the decisions he was making. And that was, that's gone. It this guy looks so much more like the guy I think many people had hoped to see a year ago, and so it's just taken him a little bit more time to grow into the role that he now is in, and also having uh, Ryan Nemhart next to him is a huge help to that because, as many of us thought predicted, sliding over to the two guard was going to help Hickman a lot, and so far it has. Next thing that stuck out to me was Dusty Stromer's constant activity. Uh, he is doing all, so many of the little things well. He is getting the loose balls. He's playing solid defense. He's making the right pass. He's being really unselfish on this team as he's trying to fill a the role uh, that, that Steele Venters vacated after the injury. But he is a guy who already has Mark View's trust. Uh, he played all 40 minutes against UCLA. He's been playing a ton of minutes as a as a true freshman. That is showing that sh- should show everybody just how what we should really expect from Dusty Stromer because we don't see a whole lot of freshmen get immediate minutes and get heavy minutes like this um, early on from Mark Few and he and Stromer's getting it and partly out of necessity, but. He's played well. Uh, The shooting isn't there yet. He's still only shooting 29% from the field, which is obviously not good. Uh, But clearly, he's doing a lot of the little things to help this team with. And this is sort of related. The other thing that stood out was Gonzaga's lack of depth, at least against good teams. Uh, These were three of the better teams that Gonzaga is going to see all season. And they played only seven players played more than 10 minutes in any one of these games in Hawaii. And it was the same seven players. Uh, Three played all 40 minutes against UCLA, Nemhard, Hickman, and Stromer. Uh, We saw far less of Braden Huff in these games. Uh, He was not the, he was not the standout offensive player that we saw the first couple weeks of the season. Uh, He only averaged five points per game over the weekend, 35% uh, from the field. Uh, 14 field goals attempted, 10 of which were threes. So uh, there's, I think there's a little bit of concern over the depth of this squad and the number of minutes that are going to have to be logged by everybody else. The number of minutes are going to have to be logged by a Ryan Nephart, by a Nolan Hickman, by a Anton Watson. And yes, these guys are veterans. They know what the deal is. And we know that Mark View typically doesn't, go deep into the bench anyway, but it usually takes him a little while before he figures out who those guys are. And we have, and we have seen some moments and obviously it's not like nobody else is playing. We we've seen moments from some of the others coming off the bench uh, that, but I don't think we've seen anything consistent enough to show that to this point, obviously long way to go that it's going to be much we're going to see much more than these seven on a regular consistent basis when it, when the time comes to, to win a game, when the time comes to play a tough team. But overall, despite that, more importantly, this team has probably pretty clearly made this restamp that they are still the team to beat in the WCC, despite the fact that the coaches picked St. Mary's to win the league and many other pundits picked up, picked up St. Mary's to win the league. I won't keep a reminder of like, because yes, I am a St. Mary's person. I did not pick St. Mary's to win the league. I also had Gonzaga uh, because I couldn't do it. I, until proven otherwise, they are the team. And right now they still look like that team. And it's also why right now, like for this week, like their performance in the Maui, uh, Gonzaga would be my team of the week as well. So player player of the week, Anton Watson, team of the week, Gonzaga. And this Gonzaga team has another really 
tough opponent coming up. USC this coming Saturday. They will. Gonzaga does have a game in between, but uh, the the highlight of this is going to be the, this this December second matchup in Vegas against against the Trojans. USC is four and two. They have wins over K State and Seton Hall. Um, they've also lost games to Oklahoma and UC Irvine at home. Bronny James has begin has begun to practice, but it's still TBD on his timeline back to playing. But going into this one, this is going to be, I think, one of the better tests for this team, especially for the backcourt, uh, for Nebhart and Hickman. Uh, uh, Boogie Ellis coming into this one, uh, 6'3", fifth-year guard, 20 points per game. He's a 40% three-point shooter. This is a guy who sh- takes most of his, more than half his shots from three to this point of the season. Three point, 3.6 assists a game as well. So you're looking... At him, he's going to be making. He's going to be a playmaker for this team. You have a lot of guys who are going to have like really good playmaking abilities on this USC squad. Uh, and so for Gonzaga, it really is going to be a matter of keeping them in front of you, protecting the paint, and then obviously cleaning up rebounds. Uh, that's kind of like going to be the formula for this one. And yeah, that's kind of a general formula for a lot of games. Boogie. L- Boogie Ellis is one of the guys you have to watch out for. Isaiah Collier, a 6'5 freshman, he's another guy you have to watch out for. He's going to attack the basket uh, 52% from the field early on, 18 points per game. He's the Trojan's second-leading scorer. Uh, Kobe Johnson as well, 15, right around 15 points per game to this point, three steals a game uh, for the 6'6 um, wing. And in the paint, this is while this is not someone who has quite the size of a Zach Eady and is not quite the impact of a Zach Eady. You have to watch for uh, Joshua Morgan in the middle. Uh, the 6'11 redshirt senior uh, is averaging 3.3 blocks per game. He had 10 blocks against Seton Hall um, over the weekend. So this is a guy who who knows how to protect the rim, protect the paint. So this is something that this is, this is key for EK and for Watson down low of like making – how do you figure out a way to maybe keep him away from the basket, keep him away from those uh, maybe weak side help opportunities so that you can free up the paint a little bit more? Because I think that's going to be key in this in this game for Gonzaga is really finding a way to be able to get inside on the on this squad. Um, but also because we've seen what the over-reliance upon the three actually resulted in for Gonzaga just last week. Uh, not the not the recipe for success for the squad, at least not at this point. Also, Morgan, just a note, it's keeping in mind, it's like you can't also leave him alone, 16 for 19 from the floor uh, so far. So this USC team is, is another one of the better teams that USC, uh, sorry, Gonzaga will face. A lot of weapons for this USC team. This team is going to put up points. We know Gonzaga can put up points. So this is going to be a fun matchup uh, in Vegas on Saturday. And we talked about the teams that have done well. Well, I have to flip this around, talk about the team who has not done as well. And that is LMU. LMU sitting at four and three. They lost two out of their three games at the Cayman Islands Classic. Uh, and it took and it took a lot just for them to get the one. Uh, they lost to Stephen F. Austin. And they lost to Oakland, seventy four sixty nine. They shot thirty nine percent from the field in that one. Uh, Oakland shot fifty seven percent in the first half. Then they they did win against FIU by all of one, and it took four points in the last minute from Justin Wright to secure that victory. Uh, they got beat in the paint forty two to twenty six. They LMU shot 52% in the first half of that game, but then ended up shooting 26% in the second. And the loss to Stephen F. Austin, the loss to Oakland, and they did have a loss to Yale, obviously, a few weeks ago. They have three losses so far this year by a grand total of 18 points. They're not getting blown out in these games. They are losing on the margins. They are losing these games in late or later game situations and execution. They're unable to create easier shots. This is this team is last in the WCC in assists per game. They've shot sub 40% in three straight games. So there, there is a little bit of concern, I think, for this LMU team 
going forward, especially into this week, because they better write the ship quickly uh, with Nevada on the horizon. Uh, they Kelly Lau Pepe, I think, is is definitely someone to kind of circle as far as a point of concern. And he had 13 total points in the Caymans. He got him. He was, he's been in foul trouble a good amount of the season to this point. He had, he's had four fouls in three games so far. He's only been able to get 30 plus minutes per game or 30 minutes or more three times so far this season. Shooting 34% from the field, 24% from three, obviously not good numbers. Anyway, you slice that. So he being one of the leaders of this team, he being one of the seniors on this team, and one of the more experienced people on this team, it's really important for him to be able to step up because he makes this team different. He gives them a different dynamic when he's able to play the way we know he's capable of playing. Uh, But we did see a little bit of a bright spot for him uh, just on Saturday. LMU did beat uh, UTEP by 2016. 747. He had 13 points, 5 for 11 from the floor. But LMU still shot 29% in the second half of that one. This is this is a little bit of a troubling this is a troubling factor for LMU right now, even though they did win this game by 20, like I think they should have. 29% in the second half against UTEP, 26% in the second half against FIU. This is a very St. Mary's-esque streak they're on right now. Uh, and they need the right to ship quickly. Uh, they have Central Arkansas on Wednesday, and then they will be heading up to Reno to take on Nevada, a very good Nevada team uh, on Saturday. So for this LMU team, this is really, I think this is about cleaning up what they do well. This is, I think this has less to do about what others are doing and more about them because they had that game against Stephen F. Austin. They let it slip away. They had, they had the game against Yale. They let it slip away. They could have had that game against Oakland. They let that slip away. They've had opportunities in each of these three games to get wins and have let it slip away. So that is the that is the critical thing for LMU is to make sure they're ta- they're handling their business. They're shooting well. They're creating easy shots. They're rebounding. They ha- they are in control of what their results are at this point. Uh, from this point moving forward, there's there's not a whole lot of marquee matchups left on their schedule. So this is the time where they have to really step up and do well and start to gain some level of momentum before they get in the WCC play, which is really only just a little more than a month away. So it it's that time of year where you really have to start figuring it out. If you haven't figured it out yet before you get to conference and then really hit the ground running once you're there. All right, next is going to be St. Mary's, who had a bounce-back win against Davidson. We know what's happened to St. Mary's a week ago. That was the, about as bad of a weekend as you they could have possibly had in Las Vegas. Three-game losing streak has been snapped. And what cha- so they beat Davidson 89-55. They ran away from Davidson in the first half of that one, held Davidson to the 20 points in that first half, 36% from the field for the game. But the difference to me was the offense 89 points obviously screams like oh the offense was better clearly the offense was better alex dukas with 23 points five assists augustus marshallonis with 17 points four rebounds he shot 62 percent in the second half remember we talked about that second half that terrible second half streak that they had had for about a, almost two weeks the, the ship was rated at least in this game. They shot 52% from the game. They were 15 for 31 from three. They were 26 to 10 in second chance points. It looks like that they, they got out of their own heads. They started playing well. Dukas looked healthier. Marshallonis played like the guy I think that many, myself included, thought we might see early on in this season. And this team looks closer to being who we expected them to be. Davidson is a, is a solid team. They are not a marquee team right now. So I think if you kind of take this game, you take some of the good things that were out of there and now you have to apply it to two really tough games this week. One, one at home and one hitting a new neutral site 
um, in Idaho. They'll take on Utah on Monday night and then take on Boise over the weekend in Idaho. Uh, Utah's cup, Utah three and two. They're coming off back-to-back losses against number six, Houston and St. John's. Uh, the key here is there are a few keys and Brandon Carlson, the seven foot um, center is, is starts is a start of that 19 points per game, six rebounds. Uh, so this is going to be Saxon and Wessels really needing to step up and actually um, contain him. But also the, the perimeter defense is going to be critical because uh, this team has two guys who are plus 40% uh, in three-point shooting. Gabe Madsen, 45% from the field, uh, 14 points per game. Cole Bajema, uh 44% as well. So these are you have a couple of guys who are going to be just marksmen for this team. And then the guy who's going to be running it all, Raleigh Worcester, 6'4 uh, point guard, 6.6 assists per game to this point. Uh, so you're real... This is a Utah team that's going that has a lot of offensive weapons, a lot of options. Uh, that's going to put a lot of pressure on that St. Mary's defense to to do well and to really start to find to find some sort of consistency there. And then, of, and then the one thing we know, defense really hasn't been as much the issue as it has been that offense. The offense needs to continue the momentum that they gained back through the Davidson game and push that through into Utah and Boise State. With Boise State, it's they're going to try to slow it down. Which, guess what? That's exactly what St. Mary's wants to do. So this is going to be an interest. A you're going to see a game with two similar styles. So this is going to be, I would predict, a low scoring game. Uh, Boise has five players who average double figures. Uh, Tyson Dennehart, 14 points per game, 53 percent from the from the field. Preseason All Mountain West team. Uh, but this is also a team you have to watch out for foul trouble against. They average the Boise averages 22 field goal attempts per game. So they are going to look to get your players in foul trouble. That is what happened with USF. Jonathan Mogbo got into foul trouble early, and that really hampered his ability to be effective in that one. So St. Mary's will have to watch out for that early on because then this will be Saxon, this will be Jefferson, this will be Wessels, who are you're going to really have to key on because. Fouls could become a factor in this one. St. Mary's is coming off a bounce back win against Davidson. So I'm really happy to bring in Alex Jensen, voice of the Gales, on to talk about not only that, but then what we've seen from St. Mary's over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Alex, how's it going? And how was uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great, Zach. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you. Um, Thanksgiving was good. Just spent some time with family. My wife and I are in the middle of moving right now, so... Uh, it's a little hectic, but uh, all's well. Hope, how was your How was your Thanksgiving? A little chaotic as well. Have to bounce between <laughs> a few different uh, houses uh, during yeah. the weekend. And it's so, feast week. And it's feast week. A lot of basketball to <laughs> uh, be tracking throughout the throughout the course of the week. Uh, Gonzaga obviously doing doing what they did. Uh, what three or four WCC teams in tournaments? But looking at St. Mary's, it's like this is a. It was really nice to see St. Mary's bounce back against Davidson on Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, I guess. It was the matinee version of St. Mary's basketball. And after two really disappointing losses in Vegas to see them kind of get back to what we're used to seeing with this team. Kind of what was your read going into that one? Because it really did seem like that this team needed a full reset. And on Friday, they looked like the St. Mary's of old. Yeah, I, you know, I going into the Davidson game, I really didn't think like things were as bad as they seemed, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously the results weren't what you want. The loss to Weber State was not a good loss. Uh, and then uh, the San Diego State game kind of got out of hand. I think, the, you know, San Diego, I mean, that was a one-point game or two-point game at the half. And San Diego State scored on nine of their last possessions, really not in garbage time, but that was really more of a 10-point second half than what it ended up being. And then Xavier, you know, again, in the first half, I felt like they generated good shots, um, you know, and then Alex Dukas goes out and it was kind of a similar effect to what we saw against UConn in the NCAA tournament where, you know, the Gales really just had a, a hard time spacing the floor. That made life a lot harder on Aiden Mahaney and Mitchell Saxon uh, and Marshall Onis really getting into the paint and, you know, with paint touches on the post, what have you, and they just really couldn't get anything going. So, the San Diego State game and the Xavier game, that first half at least, I really felt like they generated good shots. They just didn't get the shots to fall. And, you know, I, I think that this team is also less of a finished product 
Zach coming into the season than maybe we thought in you know October just based on the fact that you know not only were they losing two of their best defenders they're really losing their two main leaders in Logan Johnson and Kyle Bowen so when things don't go right you know who's there to pick everybody up in the past it, it was those two guys and there's a lot of guys figuring out new roles both on the floor and in that leadership structure and I think we're getting there you know I think Alex Dukas took a really vocal um role in practice between the San Diego State and Xavier game so I, I do think that that you know maybe we all overlooked uh those two things the fact that this is just not as finished of a product coming into the year uh as we thought the talent is certainly there we saw the talent against New Mexico we saw it against Davidson as you mentioned and you know for a half against San Diego State um but again I I just didn't feel like they played as poorly as those results would suggest I mean they shot in during that three-game losing streak Zach under 22 percent from three and I felt like they had some good looks and and those numbers uh with a team this caliber that has this talent shouldn't repeat themselves too often yeah it I mean it that was the one thing that almost was the almost the shocking thing was just seeing how poorly they were shooting from three even though they did have a lot of good looks but we also talked about just one of the things and before we uh before I hit record, we talked a little bit about just like the pressure on Aiden Mahaney and the fact that he's been kind of the lead scout. And we, and that has obviously continued into this season. And that really seems that like that his struggles also were kind of coincided with the struggles of others, because when we have a Dukas, when you have a Marshall Onis start to, to put in some buckets, get some points, it takes pressure off of someone like Mahaney because then, teams can't completely focus on him. And I think, feel like that's kind of like where they, where they kind of got stuck, at least for a while. Yeah, I, th- I think the Marshall Lonas part of that when it comes to Mahaney is critical. You know, I mean, I, I felt like that Weber State game really turned when Augustus picked up his fourth foul, had to come out for a good portion of the early part of that second half. But having him on the floor uh, changes the dynamic a little bit. You know, a, a junior who is a legit point guard, uh, a guy who can run the offense, bring the ball up, and that allows the Gales to get a little bit more creative with Aiden Mahaney being off the ball and creating more shots for him, creating more situations for him to be successful. So, you know, Goose struggled with foul trouble uh, really the first four or five games. He was ineffective in the in the San Diego State game and, and tweaked his you know, tweak something and, and did not play much the second half. So I think he is critical to what this team does, not only offensively, but defensively. I mean, you know, you, you look at Davidson, right? And there, I would call them probably at this point a middle of the pack A-10 team. But Grant Huffman is, uh, you know, kind of the head of the snake for Davidson, if you will. And when Augustus Marshallonis was on the floor, uh, at least in the first half, because, you know, the last 10 minutes or so of that game were kind of garbage time, he really struggled. So I, I really think, you know, that Goose is the X factor for St. Mary's. If he's able to stay on the floor and be successful, it's a trickle-down effect to everybody else because he's the main guy creating shots. He's so good in ball screens, uh, creating shots for others, I should say. And he's, you know, I mean, he's a physical guard. Uh, so that helps him on both ends of the floor, both offensively, getting into the paint, getting to the basket, drawing. He draws a lot of fouls and defensively, where he really draws the assignment on the other side. And then you mentioned Dukas, and of course, his gravity helps face the floor. We saw that in the second half of the Xavier game. We saw it against UConn. Without Alex Dukas on the floor, you know, you're going to make those other guys make shots to beat you because, you know, going into that Davidson game, St. Mary's was, I think, 25% from three. uh, And, you know, Dukas had been either, you know, not knocking down, just going through a little bit of a cold stretch or off the floor. He only played 10 minutes, as we mentioned, against Xavier. So I think those are two guys that, that are really kind of the linchpins right now for St. Mary's on both ends of the floor. Marshallonis, his ability to run, run the offense, get and you know allow Mahaney to play off the ball a little bit more, and Dukas's gravity and his shooting ability. I think those two guys are critical. And for, what it, you know, for a multitude of reasons, some of which we just mentioned, those two guys were factors in that three-game losing streak. There's always try to find at least a little bit of a silver lining in some of those losing streaks and whatnot. And so one of the things that we at least got to see a little bit more of was some different combinations from Randy Bennett in the rotations and what he was able to do. And we saw some Bear and Dukas combinations. We saw even the potential of them going even bigger at times. So, I mean, what 
what combinations or what did you see kind of like in like those moments where you started to see something that uh, Randy Bennett threw out there that, hey, this might actually be something that they could use down the road? I think Mason Forbes' ability to play both the four and the five um, really help with the versatility of, of uh, some of the lineups that Randy Bennett can use. You know, obviously Forbes is more of a bruising type of four. He's not a guy that's going to necessarily stretch the floor, but he's an excellent rebounder. He's strong and he's a good defender. And the fact that he can guard both the four and the five, and offensively for me, he's a little bit more of a five, at least in St. Mary's four out system. You know, that gives him some flexibility where you don't have to have a seven footer on the floor, be it Saxon or Wessels. And it just, it just gives you a, a few more options, especially defensively. Uh, for how to guard some of these lineups. You look at Gonzaga, maybe, uh, and Anton Watson's been a beast so far, but you know, maybe a guy like Mason Forbes, a guy who's a little bit more limber and athletic um, and you know, not the seven-footer, can match up with a guy like Anton Watson or at least give him a different look. Um, so I, that's the one that's, that's interesting to me is how does that five position uh, and in what types of matchups does Randy Bennett use Forbes at the four or the five? Having him this year, um, Zach, it, it just, it, it, again, it gives them some versatility, you know, where you don't have to play a true five on the floor or a seven footer. And, um, you know, at times some of those smaller lineups, we look at New Mexico a year ago that has hurt the Gales in the past. Chris Howell's another one, uh, who can, you know, who's a, who's a bigger guard and, and can stick with, uh, you know, if, if you see a three guard lineup on the perimeter, but for me, that that different lineup is is seeing Forbes's ability to play both the four and the five because it really changes the way your front court looks on both sides of the ball, and depending on the matchup, it's a luxury for Randy Bennett uh, to have that option to to go either big or small with uh, you know with with Mason at the four or the five. I mean, we're I mean, we're still very early into the season. We're only less than a month in, so we're still seeing a lot of different combinations and whatnot. And we talked about just some of like the losses that they've had recently, the three-game losing streak, all that sort of stuff. But I was also starting to look, you have to start to look ahead, and St. Mary's has a couple of really tough games this week. You have Utah, you have Boise State in Idaho. Talk about a little bit about these two matchups. Have you had a little bit of time to kind of start to, to read in on them and just what just the opportunities that both of these teams present and what challenges they might, that the Gales will face against them. Yeah. I think for Utah, you got to look at a guy like Brandon Carlson and, and this may be a situation, Zach, where we see that, that rotation of the five kind of morph a little bit, right? I mean, Carlson's a guy that can really stretch the floor from that five position and, and knock down shots. And, and Utah is a team that wants to play up tempo, you know, so we'll see how they do. And, you know, and we know it's easier to slow the game down than it is to, to speed it up. At least, you know, we've seen the Gales over the last handful of years. Um, there have been certain instances, of course, Gonzaga does it better than anybody. Um, but it'll be an interesting matchup at the five because, you know, the Gales have that traditional back of the basket, Sacks and Wessels. Again, you, you have the option uh, to play with Mason Forbes, but, you know, Carlson's been the Utes' best player. And, uh, you know, Utah has, um, I know they've lost two in a row, but a win over Wake Forest. Outside of Houston and St. John's, those two losses, they haven't played anybody else in the top 75. So going on the road is going to be an interesting one uh, for Utah, who's coming into play at 45 in Ken Palm. Just looking at their uh, Ken Palm profile, Zach, that their adjusted tempos in, in the top 105. And we'll see when we get closer to the game, which is tomorrow, if, if the Utes are a team that needs transition to score. I, I think they can score in the half court. But again, their ability to stretch the floor is, uh, you know, with those bigs is a problem that, you know, can really hurt anybody. And we'll see what Randy Bennett's counter is to that. Again, I think Mason Forbes could play a big role in this game and his ability to step out and, and guard the perimeter. Because you're going to, I mean, or do you put Joshua Jefferson on a guy like Carlson, who's at seven feet again, can stretch the floor a little bit. You know, Boise State haven't looked a whole lot into the Broncos. I know they're a high-scoring club with a high-power backcourt. Uh, and also, they've been good defensively under under Max Rice uh, over the last few years. USF gave them a solid game in, in Boise. And, and maybe the Broncos have been a little bit disappointing uh, to start the year off to a 3-3 three and three start. They've played a, a very uh, tough schedule, though. Um, so, yeah, I mean, another kind of slower team they've been, they were, again, I remember them being a very good shooting team last year. They haven't shot it well so far this year. So 
Uh, yeah, but it, it's an interesting point in the Gales' schedule because I, I don't think anyone thought that St. Mary's would be 3-3 three and three, uh, by this point. And these are two important games. You win both of these, I think you're – I don't know if you're right back on track, but you're, you're close to it. Um, but, you know, how nice is it to see a Power 5 team come to Moraga? You know, I mean, these are the kind of series that we've been waiting yep. for. Yeah, the uh, the future Big Twelve Utah Utes <laughs> coming in. Hey, Craig Smith is doing a great job so far. Yeah. I mean, he's you know I think that uh, Utah maybe I know people have talked about them as a potential tournament team probably a year ahead of schedule uh, this year. So he's he did a great job at Utah State and he's he's doing a great job at Utah. It's a great series for the Gales to have. I know they're going to Utah either next year or the year after, but. Um, yeah, it's just nice to see these games being played on campus. And later on, Zach, I think really the Gales' yep. biggest opportunity is at Colorado State because yes. the Rams have 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 been better, I think, than a lot of people thought. Isaiah Stevens, one of the best players in the country. Mm-hmm. And to play that game on the road, that represents a massive opportunity. Of course, you've got a, yep. a, a lot to get through before getting there, but that's, that's another one where you, know, you win at Colorado State and they play the way they have been all year. That's one that's going to age really well. Yep. That is that it. Yes, I agree. It'll age well, and that'll be a huge feather in the cap for this team if they can get that one. Also, because Colorado State is a team that they have struggled with over the last couple of years, and they've gotten them twice: once in Moraga, once up in uh, Fort Collins. So it'll be that will be a really fascinating matchup. Uh, hopefully, St. Mary's can can uh, completely right the ship before getting up there because they're going to need essentially everything to kind of go their way to to steal one. I would say in Fort Collins. It's a tough place to play. I mean, the Gales went up there a couple of years ago, as you mentioned. The atmosphere was awesome. I mean, it was right before Christmas break, and it was sold out. The place was jumping. I mean, David Roddy had a huge second half. Isaiah Stevens had the big first half. And, yep. I, you know, I, I, I thought they had some nice pieces last year. Of course, they're all a year older now, um, and they've got they've got some – but both bigs can, can pop out to the three-point line, which – you know, and, and when you have a guy like Isaiah Stevens at the point, you know, it really represents some matchup problems for anybody. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Alex, for hopping on, uh, taking some time to talk some St. Mary's basketball. We'll catch up down the road. Um, Utah Utah comes into Moronga on Monday, and then they head off to Boise over the weekend. Uh, Alex, thanks for hopping on, and we'll catch you down the road. All right, Zach. Appreciate it, man. Good talking to you. Jim. I want to thank Alex Jensen for hopping on, and it's always great to chat with him, talk some St. Mary's basketball. Um, you can find He's doing the ESPN Plus broadcast. It's also still the radio broadcast, so the simulcast of the St. Mary's broadcasts. And we'll talk a lot more about St. Mary's uh, next week as they come off these two really important games against Utah and Boise State. And on Sunday night, uh, we also, I went out to Chase Center to go check out USF against Minnesota, and the Dons just put it on. Uh, the uh, the Golden Gophers uh, won by 18, 76, 58. Uh, it was the most complete game I've seen from this USF squad to this point. Uh, it's the most connected I've seen them play as well, defensively, offensively. Just everything seemed to be working for this squad. Uh, Jonathan Mogbo, 21.10 rebounds. I swear, anytime he's near the rim, uh, he it, he can get his hands on. Anytime, like he, he's in any legitimate radius he's getting the ball uh one of the more tenacious um guys i rebounders i've seen in a while uh, marcus williams 20 points ryan beasley off the bench he 13 points tonight he just looks like he belongs and he's just getting more and more confident as uh, this young season goes on and for a true freshman to really hit the ground running has been really impressive to see uh he he plays the part he's starting to kind of he understands the offense he's getting more patient as uh the season rolls along and for a freshman to to do that so quickly is impressive uh coach uh, coach Gerlefson talked about it after the game on Sunday just how that just how much trust he has in Ryan Beasley and just what and the fact that he's playing a freshman 30 minutes a game really shows how much he's putting that trust in him. There's a lot of freshmen, it seems, that they're that are getting that are getting a lot of trust uh in the early going, or he talked about Dusty Stromer earlier. 
But this USF team is starting to put it all together. They have a nice long break until they see Arizona State on Sunday um, down in Tempe. So that's going to be a true road game for USF. They've, they clobbered Arizona State la- last year in, in San Francisco. It, that, was, that was an awful, awful game for Arizona State. Um, so I wouldn't expect that to happen this time around. I expect that to be way, much more competitive of a matchup uh, down in Arizona. So it'll be really crit- critical to see how that matchup all goes. It's also another opportunity for them to get a Pac-12 win and also add something to the resume. USF still has some opportunities to put something on their resume as we get closer to conference play. And this is just another one of those chances. Uh, and I do want to round back to uh, Jonathan Mongbo just a quick for a quick note, because the more and more I watch him, the more I'm thinking that I that he is going to make a legitimate case for newcomer of the year. And la- at the beginning of the year, I thought that was essentially locked up by Ryan Nemhard just because I well, I one, I think he was going to be the player of the year. I still think that as of right now. And if he was going to be player of the year, well, then by default, he would also be newcomer of the year. Also, I didn't, he was the he was the most known commodity of the newcomers coming into this league. We knew what Ryan Nemard was going to be able to contribute, what he was going to be able to do, because he did it at Creighton. Jonathan Mago is proving very quickly that he belongs in that conversation. He is... I think by far been USF's most important player to this point of the season. He is doing it on the, on the defensive end. He's doing it on the offensive end. He has, he makes, he makes this team a, gives them another gear. He gives them another dynamic that they have not had in a while. And I don't think they've had a forward, a big man like, like him in a very long time, maybe even going back to say the, Cole Dickerson years or something like that. I'm like, but not like quite him. Maybe even Dior Lohorn might be a better apt, um, closer comparison. Um, but even, even those two are not quite the same player. Dior could go inside and out. Magbo is just a beast inside the paint. Uh, so I don't know if I can come up with a USF uh, comparison for what we've seen uh, Magbo do to this point. And then just a couple other notes of just making sure that people are paying attention. Like San Diego is five and two Pacific is four and three. Uh, They're, they're quietly putting together not great resumes, but they're quietly doing what they're supposed to do and winning games that they're supposed to win. And Pacific hasn't won all the games they were supposed to win, but there's growth on those teams. And even, and at least it's a positive sign because this could have been could have gone a lot worse for both of them. It hasn't. So they're staying afloat. They're still there. Um, and we'll get into them a little bit more as we get closer to conference play. Um, and this week, again, there's a lot, a lot of games that we can really dive into or not. We're not going to dive into for the rest of this episode, but uh, keep an eye out for some of these matchups. Cause yeah, there's some really top notch uh, games coming up in the WCC this week. So already talked, we've talked about Gonzaga USC. We've talked about St. Mary's and their matchups, but LMU is at Nevada, USF at Arizona state uh, there. You also have games like Santa Clara will be at Cal over the weekend. Portland is going to be seen Wyoming and air force. Pepperdine is at Colorado a lot. So a, a San Diego's at Stanford. It's a big week for the conference teams, a great opportunity for a lot of them to pick up good wins. I want to thank my um, guests, Anthony Passarelli and Alex Jensen, one more time for hopping on the podcast. Always great to talk with them. Uh, and I'm going to wrap, wrap this one up. Uh, be sure to follow along on social media at post by Zach at unoff WCC pod. Also be sure to subscribe to the channel on YouTube and also be sure to uh like and favorite on your favorite streaming services as well. And that'll be that. So that'll do it for this week. Um, have a great week, everybody. And I will catch you later.